today. And uh, again, good to see all of you here this morning. And summer doesn't officially begin until June 21st. But as far as we're concerned, we're going to kick it off today. And as was already said, the kids are having a great time uh, having some water things and ice cream today. And we've got a lot of good things planned this summer. We've got a men's camp coming up just a couple weeks away from that. And men, if you'd like to be a part, there's still time to sign up and be a part of that getaway. And uh, then we've got different camps and Bible schools for children. And in July, we're going to celebrate our church's 20, 20th anniversary every Sunday in the month of July. And it's the last Sunday that will be our actual anniversary Sunday. But we thought for an event this big, let's break it up into pieces and celebrate aspects of it every Sunday in the month of July. And we're certainly looking forward to that. And uh, of course, all this change you know marrying our daughter off and the anniversary of our church maybe it's gotten me a little bit nostalgic but i found that i've been going back in my mind's eye to when the ministry began here and when we came to coastline i did my very best to learn all that i possibly could about starting a church obviously i'd never done that before but uh, as you might expect a lot of what i needed to know i didn't even have sense to ask about you don't know what you don't know and I found that sometimes wisdom in life is not found in knowing everything, but it's, it's in growing to the place where you can ask intelligent questions. And I had to live a little before I could even ask really intelligent questions. And, and a lot of times we get what we call on-the-job training. And all of you know what I'm talking about. We have to learn as we go. As we came, I knew intuitively that there are areas in my life where there's a degree of a cap. I've read a lot on how our intelligence works and we think of IQ tests and so forth but really when you become an adult depending on what you read there's very little change that actually takes place there once you hit about 30 you pretty much are who you're going to be and so there's kind of a lid there you can you can gain more knowledge but as far as your intelligence there's there's a cap at some point in everyone's life I began to think about really the essence of my ministry as a pastor. There's much that needs to be done, but my primary responsibility after I've walked with God as an individual is to feed the flock of God with God's Word. And so I knew I wanted to do my very best to teach and preach the Word of God. And yet, in my life, there's even going to be a limit on, on how impactful I can possibly be as I, as I share a sermon. So I began to think of those areas in my life where there was no limit. I began to learn that in my life there's no limit when it comes to faith in God. I can trust a big God for big things, and so can you. And I remember trying to develop that part of my life, the faith part. We talk so much about it, but I wanted to know what it was to fully rely and depend upon the leading of God. And I emphasize that. Another area of life where there's no limit other than the ones we impose on ourselves is when it comes to our work ethic. Not everybody that shows up on the job puts the same amount of effort into it. You all know exactly what I'm talking about. And I began to pray, God, would you help me to have the character of heart that would help me to be diligent in work? And like the Apostle Paul, I wanted to be the kind of person that could say, you know, I worked to the point of exhaustion today. I, I expended myself in the work. But in the course of our years together here, I've, I've had to learn some things, and I'm still learning things. And it's been very hard. In fact, it's hard even once you've learned what I want to talk to you about to then put it to work in, in our lives. And as we begin a new teaching series today, each week I'll share a little bit of my story and I want to be very careful up front. I don't mean by that that my story is more meaningful or valuable than yours. But sometimes a personal example or illustration is something that you can dial into and, 
And I would imagine all of you, if you listen closely, as I share a bit of my story, you'll think, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Something like that happened in, in my life. And, and so I'll, I'll share a little bit of my story. And if you allow me to be more personal in this series than maybe I've been in any other series I've taught, I really do want to share a bit of, of the background of my life that led me to get into the Word to learn personally what I want to share with our church in this study. And uh, I, I want you to know how this series came to be. So our church began years ago. We rolled into town and there were no people. I guess my wife and kids are people, but other than them, there were no people in our church. And, and, uh, and so knowing I needed to work, I decided I'd spend time every single day out in the community inviting people to church, telling people about Christ. And so every day... Uh, from 10 to noon uh, and from 1 to 4, uh, I'd be out there knocking doors, going door to door in our community, inviting people to church. And uh, I set a personal goal. The baseline for me was 1,000 homes a week to get to 1,000 homes. And, and uh, uh, some weeks that was easier than others. You'd have duplexes. Other weeks it'd be houses far apart. Man, you'd have to really hoof it. And I wore out some shoes and got a good tan in the course of that process. But I decided, you know, there's no people. There's nothing to occupy my time. I have no excuse for not working and being very diligent. And so in addition to all the other things that needed to be done, I thought I'm just going to be out there inviting people to church and telling people about Jesus. And in time people began to come. And I wanted to be the best pastor for them that I could possibly be. So I personally followed up on every guest. People seemed to be more social 20 years ago. We'd get together with every guest that came to our church. Multiple nights every week, our family would invite families into our home and we'd share a meal and get to know people. I attended every function I was invited to. And back in those days, I was going to kids' baseball games and all the rest, you know, just went to everything. And I was loving every minute of it. And, and, and the pattern continued. But what, what became of interest to me is the fact that as more people began to come to our church, the demands began to increase. Our church got bigger and my schedule didn't expand proportionately. Demands grew. And I found that I began to experience some problems. I noticed this early on, and really it went for years. First, I realized that I just couldn't possibly get to everything that everybody expected me to be a part of anymore. I understood a team needed to be built to provide care. And, and I also found that I had created a culture within our church. It was no one's fault but my own, but I'd created a culture in my church where there was an expectation that I would be everywhere and do everything and meet every need and make every visit. And, and it was a culture I had created. And it was sincerely done. It was intentionally done. So I did my best to grow in my understanding of it all, but it seemed that the church was always a step beyond me. And I think most pastors would say something very similar to what I'm saying to you today. There's, there's always a sense that, that you're playing catch-up when it comes to leadership. And of course, I began to feel I was doing poorly as a leader, and, and uh, I, I thought there needs to be more leaders in the church. I'm not doing very good developing them. And, and uh, then I'm sure you've noticed this dynamic. There are always those moments in life where you're not feeling great about your performance, and there are people in the proverbial peanut gallery who will point the obvious out to you. Sometimes we call them critics. And I remember a profound moment in my life. This whole series comes out of really just a, a very small amount of time in my life. Some, some critics began to emerge. And I, I've understood if, if you don't want critics, don't do anything, have anything, or, or go anywhere, and all of those things, you won't have them. But if you're doing anything in life with all of your heart, there's going to be somebody to say, uh, you know, you're not doing it wrong. And what bothers me most about those who are critical of me is the fact they're almost always right, okay? They almost always point something out, and I think about it, and I think they're exactly right. Wish you would have gone about it a little differently, but... But you're right. And I remember going 
through a time not, not very long ago where I, I thought, you know something, I, I've just got to double down and I've got to work uh, even harder. And, and uh, as I did, the demands increased. And God's been good to our church. I, I understand that it's been His blessing. And forgive me if this honesty today is more than you can handle from a pastor, but I have to tell you that I got to a point where my attitude began to suffer. People, people that I love and care for as they would expect things from me that they should, I began to see things as just a drain on me, things that I'd loved and enjoyed and was even passionate about. It just seemed like every assignment in life was just one more thing than, than I even cared to do. Work harder wasn't necessarily the answer. I began to think, you know, there's more stuff to do than I'm ever going to get to, and I'm just going to burn out in the process of it all, and people will probably be glad to see that happen. They'll say, well, he was dumb for having burned himself out. Let's replace him with a younger model of him, and we'll move on, and and uh, I felt like Moses, who one time said this in Numbers eleven eleven. Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Now listen, the life that God gives us is not an affliction. It is a blessing. It's a blessing. But there was a lesson I was missing in my life. Uh, I, I had to learn the power of being renewed. Renewed. Let me define the word renew for you since it's what we'll be talking about for the next four messages. The term renew means this, to be reestablished in a like new and often improved manner. And when I speak of renew over these next several messages, I want you to know I'm speaking of a work that God does in us. As we in faith cooperate with His grace, it's a byproduct of God's work in our lives. For example, in Psalm 51, David said this to the Lord, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. David said, My spirit's not where it once was. And so, God, I want you to do the work of renewing. I want you to reestablish in a like new and maybe even an improved manner. God, would you renew me? Isaiah 40, 31 says it this way. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And again, this is a work of God, but we cooperate in an obedient faith. And that's why Paul in Ephesians 4 said it this way. He said, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Renewal is a gift from God as we yield to Him in faith. Renewal is for the husband who's burning the candle at both ends and you're starting to look for the light at the end of the tunnel and it's growing dimmer by the moment. It's, it's for the wife who's doing all she can do to hang on and keep the needs met. It's for the student who seems to have more to do than time to do it. It's for the leader who feels as though they're at their wit's end in life. Renewal is a beautiful work of God, and it's one we need to understand if we hope to have longevity and consistency in the course of our lives. So over the next several weeks, I'm going to share some biblical truths that can lead to renewal. And uh, I'll be very honest, I'll be sharing truths that I'm still learning myself and seeking to apply myself, but it's a, a principle that has helped me greatly and is helping me greatly, and I pray that it'll help you. If you're not in a moment like I'm talking about, if you're living life at all, you're going to get there one day. And you'll want to file this away in your heart and in your mind. And so I hope and pray that you'll join in this series. And I want to ask you this. If you're listening, say amen. amen. Do all you can to be here for all four weeks of this study. Because each builds on the other. And from the bottom of my heart, I love you. Not as much as God does, but I love you and I want the best for you. And we're going to cover each week elements you're going to need to do well in your family and your career and in every part of life. You need what God shares with us from his word 
in relation to this topic. So if you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we read the word together. Matthew chapter 11, and uh, I'll begin reading in verse 28. Jesus speaking here. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus here uses a picture, and I'll talk about it as I, as I share the message, but he speaks of a yoke, and we don't live in a farming community, a lot of times past, but many of you would know that the yoke is just the apparatus that attaches a working animal to the load that it's to pull, maybe a plow or a cart, something of that nature. And Jesus, in verse 30, said, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But there's a statement in the end of verse 28 that we're going to key in on today. And Jesus in that verse says this, he said, I will give you rest. He said, I'll give it to you. Our Father, we're thankful that you are a loving God and that in your word you share with us not only what is right and how to do right, Lord, by your grace, we're thankful that we can be enabled to be consistent uh, as we live for you. Help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It was a really tired audience that day, and none of us would blame them for being tired. Jesus had preached to them, he had taught them, and, and yet they were living in a time and space where literally this was a mantra, if you don't work, you should not eat. I don't know how that would go over in our day, but that's how things were in this day. If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. And so the conventional setup for the people in that day is that the men would spend much of their time working in fields and caring for livestock, and the conventional setting in that day for women would be to be keepers of home, as the Bible would say, raising the children and and meeting the many many needs that were involved in that in that setting and so people were laboring none of the modern conveniences to help with those projects that required heavy lifting they would have been tired people yet the weariness i'm speaking of went much deeper than just having worked really hard in a physical sense as Jesus had uncovered in the course of his words in this chapter, prior to the verses we read, he, he uncovered the reality that these people were living up, uh, uh, under a very oppressive religious system. There were a lot of man-made rules and codes that had been placed upon them, and, and literally the people were struggling under the weight of it all. Religious leaders were experts at avoiding the rules themselves. In fact, the religious leaders were lawyers of the law, the, the religious law, and they would find ways to get out of things while they would pile on others. In fact, Jesus one time in Luke 11 was talking to this group, and he said this. He said, Woe unto you also, you lawyers, for you laid men down with burdens grievous to be born, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with, with one of your fingers." And so Jesus here brings a message that, that confirms that through his work on the cross, that, that, that our spiritual salvation would be one that is full and free. Jesus is yet to go to the cross here, but he's sharing with him that he's different than every other religion in the world. Listen, to this day, other than the Christianity of the Bible, every religion of the world tells you what to do, gives you a list of things that must be accomplished, and Jesus never told us what to do. He told us it would already be done jesus did it all and so he's sharing with the people here that salvation is full and free 
and Him. Our relationship with God is established by faith. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul wrote of it this way. He said, it's by grace are you saved through faith. Now I'm going to read on. What's grace? It's undeserved favor. You can't earn grace. You say, I'm going to be really good and get some more grace from God. You can't get it that way. By definition, grace goes to the undeserving. So for by grace are you saved and through faith. And in a sense, that's what we're going to be talking about when, when our faith meets with the grace of God. And so forth, it's, it's, it's by grace we're saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. In fact, the Lord adds, it's not of works lest any man should boast. And in this passage, we... We've read together, we find Jesus teaching these weary people that there is a spiritual rest to be found in Him. We don't have to work to gain or maintain our standing in the Lord if we're believers. We simply have to accept that He has done it all and turn to Him in faith. But we need to know that the gospel message is not just our means for salvation. If I were to get a bunch of Christians together and say, do you believe there's power in the gospel? I think we'd, we'd agree across the board. We'd say, yes, there's power in the gospel. But I want you to know, once a person becomes a Christian, we are not to be removed from the gospel message. Yes, we come to Jesus in faith. But faith is to characterize all that we do in life. Repeatedly in God's word, we read verses like this. And I could give many examples, but Galatians 3.11 is a great example. The Bible says, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. The just are those who've been justified by way of placing their faith in God, receiving God's grace. And the Bible says, let me tell you how Christians are to live. They're to live the same way they came to me. They're to live in faith. They're to live trusting me. They're to live following me. The power of the message of salvation transcends the miracle of the moment in which you accepted the Lord if you have. It continues through our lives as we grow in the biblical process of spiritual growth we call sanctification. As people of faith, we are never to get far from the gospel. It's the epicenter. It's the epicenter of our lives. So Jesus in this passage is dealing with a works-based system for salvation. But his message here really is applicable to people of faith who want to continue walking in faith and know what his renewal is all about. And Jesus begins this way. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so as we think of rest and how that ties into this matter of being renewed, I want us to see the first lesson that we can glean from the words of Jesus here. If you have your notes nearby on the back of your worship guides today, it begins here. Rest is found in relationship. Rest is found in relationship. Now, Jesus uses a word picture of people who are working away. That's the symbol he uses. And in the verses that follow, he speaks of people pulling a cart or a plow. And and in our lives, we all know what it is to pull a load of of responsibilities. You know, as we're getting started out in life, we're pulling this cart, so to speak, and it's not necessarily full yet. But as you go, more and more responsibilities get added. I saw a picture that I thought would help to illustrate what I'm talking about. See if we can see it. All right. How many of you have ever felt like that in life? All right. You've got this cart, and it's just, it's overwhelming you. You want to get a little traction, but you're like the guy running in the cartoons. You just can't get those feet to get to the ground. And while so much of what we do is important and necessary, we also live in a time that tends to just pile on. Many times we'll have a commute to work, and most Americans work long hours, longer than the typical nation. We love our children intensely, passionately, but they require time and, of course, much attention. 
And a lot of what we call these modern conveniences are really a drag when it comes to knowing what it is to unplug and rest. We're accessible to people 24 hours a day. Not one thing can happen around the world that's negative without us knowing about it instantly. We've got a lot more things on our mind today than people ever have. And in fact, most of us today wear the word busy as a badge of honor. How you doing? Oh man, I'm busy. I am busy. And the implication is if you're not busy, you're not doing life right. Something must be, must be wrong with you. The most oft answer I get to the question, how are you doing, is I'm so tired. And again, the idea is if, if you're not all the time busy with more things to do than time to do them, if you're not all the time running just absolutely uh, at a breakneck pace and on the verge of falling over from exhaustion, you must be doing life wrong. And while getting tired in the course of life is just a part of it, a lot of what we call stress could be mitigated if we'd apply our faith in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says here, come unto me. And there's something implied in that statement. If I were to say to one of you, would you please come to me? What, what would also be said in that statement is, would you leave your seat? Leave where you are. Leave what you're into and come to me. And Jesus, when he says, come to me, he's inviting people to, to leave what they're doing and to walk away from someone or something that's taking their time and attention. Now, there is a lot to say about rest. But at the core, we need to know it is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is where rest begins. Now, I'm certainly not against resting in a physical sense. But friends, until we get the spiritual side nailed down, you can't possibly rest enough physically to fill the longing in our hearts when we're truly burnt in the course of life. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to be totally burned out, worn out. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said it this way. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Let me interpret that. He said, I worked harder than anybody else I know of. He said, yet not I, but the grace of God which was within me. He said, no, you've got to understand, there was a power inside of me that was generating what was needed for the work. 2 Corinthians 7, Paul says, For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. He said, you know, I know what it is to have times in my life where there's not an opportunity for my flesh to physically rest, but there was something happening inside my life. Paul would also write these words in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, For the which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed. And there's that word. It's renewed day by day. Listen, I'm not advocating a life where there's no breaks, physically speaking. We all need those. But I am saying at our very core, there has to be an understanding that real rest is found in a real relationship with God. It's renewed day by day. His faith was met by God's grace. He had rest even in the midst of work. That leads us to the second thought we glean from Jesus. I want us to see here that rest is found in responsibility. Rest is found in responsibility. So let's listen to what Jesus says next. He began by saying, come unto me, but, but he says next, take my yoke upon you. If you're in the process of circling or underlining words in your Bible, I'd underline the first word we covered, come, and the next word would be the word take. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Jesus is not offering a life without effort. What he is offering is a life where he's the energizing force. He says, I'll be with you and in you and through you in the course of your work. 
That expression, take my yoke upon you, obviously it's a word picture Jesus is using uh, about a, an animal, an ox, something like that, pulling a load. But, but it also was used in another sense. It was a euphemism in the day that people would use to say, would you become a follower of mine? And so the rabbis, the teachers, when soliciting followers or disciples would say, take my yoke upon you. And so Jesus is using this expression in a variety of ways. He's painting a word picture that we can all understand, but it's a way of inviting people to truly follow him. And what I have found is this, when I am in the yoke, if you would, of Christ, when I've taken his yoke upon me, I don't have the yoke of any other people that I'm pulling at that time. And one of the reasons we get so frustrated and exhausted and at times just absolutely fried in the course of life is because we've got the yoke of other people that we're pulling. We're pulling the expectations, the hopes, the desires. Sometimes we're trying to live out the dreams that other people have for us. And what happens when you're in someone else's yoke is you're going to pull what they want you to pull and you're going to go where they want you to go. But when you're in the yoke that comes from Jesus, you're going to do those things he would have you to do and you're going to go where he would have you you to go when we line our life up with jesus it means he's in charge now fatigue runs a familiar course a similar course for each of us we can get physically drained for reasons that we have and will continue to discuss and that leads to frustration when you get worn out you get frustrated you begin to think man i'm not going to get to this all and uh, we can resent the situation resent people and and that Fatigue that leads to frustration, it manifests itself in fear. We can call it stress, we can call it anxiety. It, all, it comes out in all of our lives in a little bit different ways, but essentially it's fear. And that's what happens when we don't really learn authentically what it is to rest in Jesus. Life becomes incredibly frustrating because we're pulling a yoke that wasn't intended for us. And then that, that fear or the anxiety begins to manifest and takes all the joy out of life and, and brings us to the place where I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if I even want to keep persisting in this endeavor. And, and so much of our anxieties in life, they're connected to our desire to perform to the desires of others rather than just yielding to God. If you let other people call the shots for your life, guess what? You're going to be perpetually busy and never getting done what you're supposed to get done. You'll be jumping through hoops to please everybody around you and we'll forget about the most important one to please in life, which is the Lord. Heard of a pastor who got a phone call from a lady. She said, I came by the office Tuesday and you weren't there. The pastor said, I'm sorry, Tuesday's our off day. I'm not in the office on Tuesdays. And the lady told the pastor, the devil never takes a day off. And uh, the pastor said, well, if I worked every day, then I'd be just like the devil too, okay? And you know, if we let other people push us and prod us and direct us all the time so that we perform to their expectations, we're going to get worn out, that fatigue's going to kick in, then we're going to get frustrated. We're going to want to blame others, but ultimately it comes back to our decision. And at a time, that's going to lead to fear, and it will manifest in any number of different ways. If you're still with me, say amen. I've got to lay a deep foundation to build on over these weeks. As a Christian... In a positional sense, we are perpetually pleasing to God. Don't ever come to church again. Don't give an offering. Listen, in a positional sense, we are perpetually pleasing to God. I mean, if you're a believer today, God views you through the work of Jesus Christ. And he looks at you wherever you are, whatever you're into, and says, 
pleased because of what Jesus has done. Ephesians 1 and verse 6, the Bible says this, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. I'm not only perpetually pleasing to God, I am accepted by God. So God looks at me even when I'm doing things that aren't acceptable. God looks at me and says, you're accepted in the beloved. Jesus is the beloved. So as a believer, I'm in Christ. And and as a believer, you would be in Christ. And so when God views us as in Christ, he says, "Uh, I find pleasure in you. You are accepted by me. When I commit from a heart of love to live for Jesus, I'm then liberated from a life that seeks to please others. And I get to do those things that then are pleasing to him. For example, one time some Christians gave an offering to the Apostle Paul for for others in need. And of that occasion, Paul said this in Philippians 4. He said, I have all and abound and full, and full, having received of Epaphroditus the things, the offering, which were sent from you. In odor, he said, of a sweet smell. That was a picture of the Old Testament sacrifices. He said, man, that offering sent a smell up to heaven. A sacrifice. Listen, he said it was acceptable and well-pleasing. So the people who were accepted by God and, and people who, who, in whom God found pleasure, they were able in obedience and in faith to do things that God said were also acceptable and well-pleasing. Rest is found in relationship. In Christ, we're accepted, we're loved, and He's pleased with us. But friends, hear me. As we grow from coming to Christ in relationship, we then get to take from the Lord in responsibility. We get to do those things that He would have us to do. Let me give you words to live by. This will change your work week. Only do what only you can do. That's how you know you're focused in the course of your life. You're running the race that God has for you. Now again, forgive me for being personal, but this is a personal topic for me. Man, when I went through this season where it just seemed like, and it was a convergence of things, and I'll, I'll elaborate on that down the road, but this time of stress, whatever you want to call it, I, I, I remember just being obsessed over this thought. Man, I've got so many different people to please. I'd have the simplest little meeting to go into, and I'd think all those people are going to evaluate my ability to lead a meeting. Man, I get stressed out heading into the dumbest, simplest little thing. And uh, I thought, I've got so many people to please. And uh, of course, you know, I want to please my wife and our kids and and, uh, our church family and on I could go. But I had to get back to this truth. You know, there's only one person I really, truly long to please in my life, and that's the Lord. And that's the one who loves me unconditionally. I'm not doing what I'm doing to gain acceptance from God Or so that God will say, hey, I'm pleased in you. I am accepted in God, and God is pleased with me. It's all a response to his unconditional love. So I'm not trying to dig out of some hole that I've created for myself. I'm responding to the Lord by living a life of responsibility. The things he's shared with me in the word, I want to do those things. He is the one to lead me in a way that makes sure that I'm everything else that I want to be. As I follow God, guess what? I'll be a good husband. He tells me to be. Husbands, love your wives. God said that. And as I say, God, I want to please you, God will say, great, I've got something for you to do when you go home. Be nice to your wife. And uh, all the wives said amen, right? And uh, if I want to be a good father, you know what I need to do? I need to follow the Lord. 
Because he tells me to love my children, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If I want to be a good pastor, I don't need to sit around and think how many people come to our church. That's how many people evaluate who I am and what I do on a weekly basis. No, I need to fall on my face before God and say, God, everything anybody can know about being a pastor comes from your word. Help me to follow you and do those things that are pleasing to you. And, And Lord, as I do that, I'll trust that that ministry will touch the lives of others. I'm saying as I embrace what God has for me, it liberates me to let other stuff go. When we run around trying to make everybody happy, we're on a fool's errand. The fact is, most people only want what they can get from you. They don't want what's best for you. Now, I don't want to be jaded or cynical today, but I guess that's about the most jaded thing anybody could possibly say. But most people view relationships as a commodity. When we lose our ability to perform up to their standard, they'll move on. They want what they can get from you, not necessarily what's best for you. God always knows what's best for us. He only wants what's best for us. When we seek to run the race that God has for our lives, we can know a rest even in the midst of our responsibilities. We don't have to flee from our responsibilities to get rest. It's right there. That leads to the final thought today. Rest is found in responsiveness. Now, I hope you circled the word come and then that second word take. And in the midst of verses 29 to 30, we're going to find the third word. I'll ask you to allow your attention to be drawn. It's the word learn. Jesus said, learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, learn of me, and then he goes on to say, and I'm the best kind of teacher there is, I'm patient, I'm caring. He said, I want you to learn of me. And when we learn of Jesus, we enter into a process of growth. I'm sure a lot of you have heard the statement, you know, to know Jesus is to know peace. I've heard that. I've seen that on bumper stickers. I've heard a lot of people say that. To know Jesus is to know peace. And I agree with that statement. But I I would say, I would also agree with this statement. The degree with which you know Jesus is the degree with which you'll know His peace in your life. The more you know Jesus, the more you'll know His peace. And as we respond to Him in relationship, and as we respond to Him in the midst of our responsibilities, we'll know more of His renewal in our lives. His rest is not the absence of work altogether. It's aligning us with our gifts and purpose so that He can live in us and through us. Here's what Jesus was saying to these people. Hey, the way you're doing it, don't work. Jesus would have used good grammar. It doesn't work. You you guys, listen, you're just absolutely worn out. You're under a system. It's not going to work. I know you've been trucking for a while, but it's going to crumble. It doesn't work. It it doesn't satisfy. Jesus wanted them to know that. He said, I want you to take my yoke. He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I love the word that Jesus used there, easy. Easy. I believe when we open our Bibles, we have the inspired, inerrant, infallible, preserved Word of God. But sometimes I like to get a good Bible dictionary out and figure out, what does a word like easy mean? The word in the New Testament that Jesus used here is krestos. 
also defined as grace. That was a profound discovery for me because I know what grace is. It's, it's undeserved favor, but more than that, grace is a divine enablement. It's that work that God does in us to equip us and energize us for any task to which he calls. And Jesus said, let me tell you about my yoke. Let me tell you about my burden. It's, it's, it's easy. It is, it is filled with grace. I will enable you. I will equip you. I will energize you to live the life that I have for you to live. Don't worry about living up to everybody's expectations. You just align your life with my will. You do those things that I have for you to do. Not to gain acceptance or so that I'll be pleased. You are accepted and I am pleased in you as my child. But as you respond to the work of my grace, I want to take you somewhere in your life. His grace is power and rest to worn out people. There's a process to recovery from those times where you've been worn thin. It begins with rest. It begins with rest. From there, you have to recalibrate. The word recalibrate simply means to get back to a standard, and the standard for Christians is the Word of God. After you recalibrate, you have to restructure. We're going to use that word to speak of building a plan around that which you're learning. And then you have to resume. You've got to get back at it in a way that will allow you to keep all that you've learned in place. And we're going to talk through every bit of this. But guys, it all starts with rest. Take a nap, take a day off, take a vacation. Yes, physical rest is absolutely essential. But I'm talking about that spiritual rest where we know we're living on point, we're focused, we're running the race that God has given us to run. When I got worn out, that fatigue, it affected me in different ways, exhausted, and then I got frustrated. It seemed that every task, I mean, I get home. Hey, hon, take the trash out. Good night. I worked all day. Everyone's bossing me around. Got to come home. I mean, it, it affected every little part of my life. The most simple things, things that I had enjoyed doing now were all a drag. All, every time the phone would ring, I think, good night. Who is it and what do they want? And, you know, frustrated. And then Fearful. Because in my heart, I thought, man, I've got so many plates spinning. And one's going to fall. I don't know if you've ever seen a fight where one boxer's getting ready to go down. And you can almost see him looking for a soft spot on the canvas. It just seems the inevitable byproduct of this fight is I'm going down. And it's going to happen sooner than later. Where am I going to land when, when I do? And that sense of abject hopelessness, it engulfs so many people today because we're running a rat race. And as I love to say, Lily Tomlin said it first, you know, if you win a rat race, you're still a rat. And in this life in which we're living, man, we're just keeping up with the ideas, the cultural norms, and a lot of them are totally inconsistent and compatible with the teachings of, of Jesus Christ. And so we get needlessly fatigued. That leads to a frustration that touches every part of our lives. And, and then we become fearful. And I know some of you, you don't want to accept the title fearful, and that's why I say, okay, stress, anxiety, or whatever title you want to use. But it brings us to the point where things begin to crash and begin to crumble. And we've all had people we love who've gone through a major catastrophe in life 
we think, man, I didn't even see that coming. I wonder what preceded it. I'll tell you what preceded it. Fatigue. Frustration. And fears that weren't dealt with in the right way. Listen, when we get in that position of anxiety and stress, we begin to think escapist thoughts that are not healthy. Escapist thoughts are thoughts that are outside of God's will for our lives. Well, I'm going to go there. I'll go be with them. I'll do that. And if we don't break this cycle, it leads to, to a dangerous place. And so I started where everybody has to start in these times with rest. Yes, I took some time off. And that was one of the things I learned during this, that, uh, you know, a lot of things change in the course of life. And, and sometimes you need more rest than you used to get. But, but that, that was not what I most needed. What I most needed was to come to Jesus and that implied I was leaving some stuff behind. And I needed to take from Jesus. And before I could put his yoke on, I had to take a whole bunch of other ones off. Say, so God, help me, don't, help me not to live my life just trying to please every other person in the world. God, I want your yoke on me. I, I want to live the life that you have for me. God, I want to only do what only I can do. That which you'd have me to do. And then I, I wanted to learn from Jesus. I wanted to grow. I mean, if Jesus asked me to learn, isn't it implied that there's room to grow? And Jesus said in response to that, listen, he said, ye shall find rest unto your souls. How many of you like that expression? You'll find rest for your souls. Would it bum you out if I told you those words were not original to Jesus? He plagiarized them. From the prophet Jeremiah. He was quoting a Bible verse. In his mind's eye, he went back to the Old Testament and there was a statement that he said really embodied, encapsulated the work he wanted to do in our lives. He said, ye shall find rest unto your souls. Your soul. Have you ever been tired in your soul? Here's what Jesus said. I'll give you rest in your mind in your will, and in your emotions. I can do that work. Aren't you glad we have a Savior who can do all of those things in our lives? So two things, and I'm done. First, if, if you can identify at all with what I'm talking about today, I, I want you to leave really with one word in the forefront of your mind, hope. It can be better. It does get better. There is hope. Hope has a name. It's Jesus Christ. You say, you know, it's just another one of those religious Christianity type of, of answers. No, I would say this. Stick with this study all the way through this study. And you're going to find that God invented life. He created life. And He created us. And He gives us the capacity to live it to the full, abundantly. And so first today, if you're worn out, there's hope. Second thing is this. You can't come to Christ, or you can't uh, learn of Christ, or take from Christ, rather, until you've come to Christ. Sometimes I just have to be blunt and say, if you're not a believer, I love you, I'm so glad you're here. But these words don't apply to you until you embrace that first part, come unto me. And once you've done that, the rest fits in. I personally don't understand how we could do life with the thought that there's 
not a loving God that wants a relationship with us. It's the beginning, the basis, the foundation. Maybe you're here today, and honestly, if someone probes your heart and asks you, do you know that you have a relationship with God? You wouldn't be sure. And the best news in the world I can give you is this. Jesus Christ, God the Son, says to everybody, come to me. Come to me. I love you. I've paid the price. You don't have to earn it. Uh, You don't have to pay for it. It's yours as a gift. You receive it by faith. You receive my grace by faith. That's how you become a Christian. That's how you live the Christian life. Our Father, thank you today for the privilege we have to open the Bible, to learn and to grow. God, I know I'm talking to real people that live real lives just like I do, and we all have those moments where maybe we're entering into a new season and the demands are, are increased, or maybe it's a just a whole variety of, of difficult things are happening at the same time in our life, and it brings us to a difficult moment. I pray that this series would liberate, embolden, encourage people. God, I pray that it would open our spiritual eyes to the point that we could see more who you are and what it is you want to do. Lord, I pray that we truly would take from you and learn of you in the course of this time. Help, we pray in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed today. And Maybe you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I don't even know where all you're going to go in this series, but I can already tell you've broached a topic I think is going to be a good one for me. You're talking about some stuff I think is good for me to know. I wonder, are there those who'd say, Pastor, there was something in this study today that was used to be a help to me? Are there those by just a quickly raised hand? Something in there. That's awesome. Wonderful. You can put your hands down. I want you to think on those things. Now listen, maybe you're here today, and whether you raise your hand already or not is, is not the most important to me. I, I want you to be thinking, maybe you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, when you, when you really talk about the fact that until we come to Him, we can't take from Him or learn of Him, we've, we've got to come to Him. And, and maybe as I said that and asked the question, do you know that you have a relationship with God? Maybe in your heart you thought, you know, I'm not exactly sure. And to you, friend, I would say you can be and you must be. We can't possibly know of his work in our life until we have that relationship. And maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, you know, I'm not not 100% sure I have that relationship. And as you pray for everyone else today, you can include me in that prayer. That's kind of how God's working in my life. I'm just not sure I have a real life relationship with him. Are there those like that this morning by the testimony? Just to quickly raise hand, Pastor, you can pray for me too. You can pray for me too. Maybe there are other spiritual needs today, even saved and not yet scripturally baptized, or God is putting on your heart a desire to unite with this church family. Would you all be so kind as to join me in standing, please? Our heads are still bowed in a spirit of prayer. And uh, in a moment, Ryan's going to begin to sing a song of closing, an invitation song. And, and I want us to use this as an opportunity to talk to the Lord about what it is that we're dealing with. Almost every hand was raised saying, Pastor, you're on to something in my life. And I, I kind of suspected that would be the case. <laughs> so let's talk to the Lord about it. As the singing begins, let's go to him in prayer. If you want to pray in the front, you may. And if there's a spiritual need in your life, I'll be here in the front. I'd be glad to help you.
Did y'all look this way? Um, this is a series we need. I know it can appear a little bit melancholy up front, but we're going to get into it. I am a guy, after all, who just married off his baby, okay? So give me a little slack there. But um, I plan my messages out, my series out, oftentimes many, many months in advance. I knew we'd be in a very long study on the life of David, more than a year now. We've been studying David on Sunday nights. But I didn't realize that when we were going to go through this series, that I'd be at a point in David's life where he got fatigued and frustrated and fear kicked in and he didn't handle it right. Now, a lot of you know we have an evening service at 530. It's a totally different service, by the way. We have three morning services on Sunday night. It's a different service. And listen, if this resonates with you tonight, you need to hear what David went through. There's power in any example, even a bad example. And tonight, David's going to give us a not-so-great example. Powerful message. Uh, I don't know that I've been helped preparing a sermon in a long, long time any more than the one I'll bring tonight. And it's, it's along this same vein. Apparently, God knew that I needed to prepare these or you needed to hear them or both, okay? But that'll be tonight at 5.30. We get right to it. And uh, I'm looking forward to sharing that with our church. And, and again, it's very helpful, practical real life stuff. Now we'll get through these series in time and I'll get back to kick a dent in history and take the world over. We'll get back to those other things. But sometimes you got to deal with housekeeping issues in the course of our lives. And so I hope that this series will help you. And look, just be here every week. Just be here every week. Next week we're going to talk about, all right, so I messed up. What do I do now? And uh, it's an important, helpful message. Bring somebody that you know. I'm not saying they're messed up, but, you know, we all have things we can fix up. And uh, so bring somebody in your life that you think can be helped. God has given us a standard that we can measure our lives by that will help us to make sure we're on the right track. It's the Word of God. How do we do that? And uh, I'm going to cover that next week. And uh, I think it's going to be a, a very, very helpful topic. So thanks for being here today, Ryan. All right, how many? 